Hey out there, everybody, and welcome to Caffeination 539er. This is the 539th edition here at the Caffeination Podcast. We are calling this one the Barometer Edition or the Barometer Edition here at the Caffeination Podcast. Hopefully, you are having a fantastic week. We have a ton of fantastic and great content for you coming out today. I am Paul, and I will be your host for the evening. If you are looking for this or any of the other podcasts that uh, happen to have uh, similar names, then you can head on over to www.caffination.com. That's caffeination.com, being that we are the Caffeination Podcast. We thought that would be a good place to stick all of them. All right. So the first little thing that we got for you up here today is to say that right now you can uh, sit right back and hear a tale, a tale of a faithful trip down memory lane and internet fame to a dulcet toned quest. We have right here upon this show some wonderful geeky news about ancestral blues and kitty cartoons and other wonderful quips. We've uh, bounced around the internet like a frantic caffeine drip, skittering, tickling in your ears like a humming busy bee. I'd like to stop this rhyming song, but I'm afraid it's gone on far too long to stop right now would be a crime and we can afford to do no time so you'll have to just endure that is correct we uh spent way too long writing that so uh it's now in the podcast all right (laughs) we have a ton of wonderful content for you here including a uh hearkening back to one of the uh the, the i would say one of the more successful things that we've developed here at the caffeination so it, it's called the Coffee Barometer because this is the episode that I had basically laid out for myself and said, okay, if things are going okay on the uh, the rewind uh, of the caffeination, I should know and I should start to feel it by around now. So then I started recording today's episode and I started slowly creeping the volume up for the music and slowly creeping down the volume of the other stuff. And you know what? It should have worked. Everything was going as well as it should. So, for instance, here's some of the music for the talk bed. Yeah, see, it's not working entirely correctly. So, unfortunately, for the first three times I attempted to do this episode, which is why it's a little broken up at the beginning and a little bit fast-paced, why it's so broken up is I actually slid down the volume on my voice and slid up the volume on all of the uh, music, so you couldn't hear me at all. All right, so now that I'm in your ear and that's where I'm going to stay for the next 30 to 40 minutes, just let that sink right in. We're going to talk about some of the fun things, the geek cruft, food and caffeinated bits, and then the final thought before we head you out on your way. So geek life, which is where we start everything off. So when do you dad and when do you geek? When do you say, okay, I'm really happy that my kid's interested in video games and I'm really happy that he's interested in sciencey stuff or she's interested in sciencey stuff? Or when do you have to stop, take a step back and say, okay, maybe you're a little too interested in this. Maybe you really need to get a little perspective and and start playing outside some. I'm not sure I have a good answer to that, and I'm not sure anybody really does. But it's just one of those things that I've come across recently because of the next story, and that would be Fortnite. Fortnite Season 5 starts tomorrow. Now, if you are unaware, it is a Battle Royale-style game where you can, there's a couple different modes, but you can play as one of a hundred different players who are all trying to kill the other people, or at least survive to be the king of the hill, top of the heap, cream of the crop, number one, and moving higher all the time. To quote George Carlin. But, um, 
There's also 50v50 where you're one of 50 and your team just has to win or someone on your team just has to win. And then there's squads, which is where you're one of a team four and you have to have one of your guys make it to the end, guys or gals. Uh, this this is kind of cool because it's the first game that I've ever seen outside of Minecraft where my son really got into it. I mean, like, wholeheartedly couldn't do anything more than play it. And then until we started realizing he's spending way too much time on the game itself to the point where he's like a crabby... Uh, <laughs> Crabby Patty otherwise. And it was, uh, okay, so what, how do we have to, to moderate this? I'm curious if other people that are out there have seen any uh, similar things and how you've had to deal with it. So uh, if you have comments, feedback, suggestions, you can always send them to uh, me, Paul, at caffeination.com. Or you can send them uh, via Twitter at caffeination or Instagram or wherever else we happen to be because most of it is just at caffeination. But Fortnite Season 5, the way Fortnite it makes its money, is Fortnite is a free game, free to play. If you'd like to make your characters look prettier, then you too can uh, spend a little bit of money and uh, get skins for them. Now, this does not mean some kind of macabre dance where you walk around in the skin of another. It is a way of just changing the overall physical appearance of your particular character. So they have stuff as outlandish as a uh, giant teddy bear wearing American flag-colored briefs. America! And uh, carrying a <laughs> Uncle Sam hat uh, full of uh, fireworks because we celebrate the birth of our country by blowing up a small part of it. Or you can, uh, there's tons of other things. Well, every th season has a theme. And the one of the ways in which you earn these skins is you buy something called a Battle Pass. A Battle Pass allows you to get the, uh, to, the ability to earn um, experience points over a certain amount of time. And I actually kind of wish my son was awake right now to record this little part because he could tell you all about what the Battle Pass actually gets you. But everybody must sleep from time to time. So, uh, that well, Season 5 starts tomorrow. Season 4 was all about the rocket ship or the, uh, the meteor landing, crash landing, and it created superheroes. Uh, one of the other things that I forgot to mention is a lot of the skins actually only come out for a limited time. So they try and force people to buy them because there's scarcity. So this way you can tell how long somebody's been playing the game by which skins they have available to pick from. So, for instance, my son, if he gets killed by somebody, he's okay with getting killed by somebody as long as they have a suitably old enough skin. Which is kind of interesting to me because I hate games where you... you pay for experience points or you pay for, you know, to, to get better weapons or anything. So theoretically, this is a level playing field. There's no advantage in the game. So it, it should be perfectly fine. It's still just weird. I've tried playing it a couple times. I'm not very good, which is also another thing. I think this is the first time he's ever bested me in a video game, which I might have to dedicate a little bit more time to actually <laughs> doing in order to get it going. But hey, I thought it was funny, so I wanted to share it with the group. Humans, you know, the people that most of us have actually evolved from, are not all evolved from the one person. Now, if you know anything about mitochondria, you know two things. The one thing is that mitochondria is actually the powerhouse of the cell. For some reason, that's all anyone ever learns in high school biology, that and what the inside of a frog looks like. But the other thing that you may know, may or may not know, is that scientists traced back 
the evolution of mitochondrial DNA, which is the DNA inside mitochondria itself, which is separate and completely different from the DNA inside your regular cells. Mitochondrial DNA is only passed down through the female side of heredity. So it is a matrilineal descent. So as that goes, they were able to tell through convergence how long ago was everyone's last common ancestor. And they came out to the mitochondrial Eve, who existed around 200,000 years ago in Africa. Well, it turns out that that might not be the end-all and be-all of everything. There's a bunch of new studies that have come out, which we actually linked over on gizmodo.com, that actually say that the out-of-Africa theory has a couple holes being poked into it. It's not saying that people are, you know, spontaneous populations of Homo sapiens have been generated from around the planet, which is one of the... uh, the competing theories that was out there for a while, and actually one of the uh, theories that uh, allows some of the uh, more virulent racists to suggest that certain people are less or more developed than others. But they're saying that uh, the out-of-Africa theory still holds water for the most part, but instead of having one particularly small group that actually started the the Homo sapien line, it's multiple small groups that all got together at different points in times and interbred. So the possibility of mitochondrial DNA all coming from the same person uh, are, are theoretically possible, but it does not necessarily mean that that's where all of the DNA within us actually came together. So it actually pushes back the the potential threshold for where we can trace back human evolution a couple hundred thousand years, which is really, really cool. And if you actually are interested by this kind of stuff, which I actually am, so they've actually been able to find some of the uh, more archaic physical stuff back to 300,000 years ago. So it it's it's pushed it back at least a hundred thousand years, and it's it's kind of interesting to see uh, where we came from, what we did back back in the day, and uh, you know, it, <laughs> I'm pretty sure if any of us saw an Australopithecus walking down the street today, uh, if you say that four times fast, uh, you wouldn't think that we would have much in common with them. But there's a significant amount of development that took place in between our closest ancestors and uh, and what you would actually start to recognize as a more modern human. So Australopithecus is one of the first ones to actually walk upright, but they were incredibly small and diminutive. So if you've ever heard of uh, Lucy from Africa, she's multiple millions of years old. And I think that they dated her around two million years old. She's the oldest, pos- the oldest specimen they have found so far. So one of the cool parts about the out of Africa theory in this case is that they've actually been able, by pushing back some of the um, thresholds for when these things actually happened in Africa and when some of these events actually took place, they were able to actually explain why they saw different. Um, artifacts showing up in other areas at different points in time. So, for instance, if you dig in your backyard and you find an arrowhead, let's just say, and the arrowhead happens to be stuck next to a bunch of radiocarbon datable stuff, because you can't date an arrowhead unless it's made out of bone, uh, 
arrowheads are made out of stone usually. Stone you cannot radiocarbon date because it is not organic matter. You can potassium argon date it. You can do a whole bunch of other fun stuff, but you can't radiocarbon date it. So if you had some stuff in there and you're able to get down to a good, uh, you know, a, a good approximation, you're saying, okay, so this arrowhead came in around... 250,000 years. Well, if it was 250,000 years old and the out of Africa theory said that the everybody's common ancestor was around 200,000 years old, then there would be a major problem because your evidence would be in direct contradiction. However, if you look at the the way that this study is formulated, it actually says that it, by pushing back that threshold a little bit, it allows for both theories to actually take place. So I, I know it's a little bit in the weeds there, but it, it's one of the things that I personally am kind of uh, passionate about, as you, as you can probably tell for the fact that Australopithecus was said a couple times, but uh, you know I haven't tripped over it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually seen and held uh, mock-ups of Australopithecus skulls. Yeah, now I mess it up. Uh, and a couple other uh, body parts. And it's it's insane how small some of the scales are that we're talking about. I mean, it, it's, it's around the size of a chimpanzee's skull, but everything else is different. For instance, the foramen magnum, the hole on the bottom of the skull, was actually in a uh, position instead of in the back of the skull. It was on the underneath. And that's how you can tell that the thing was walked upright. It's it's amazing. I mean, some of this stuff is, is truly like you wouldn't even consider how this kind of information came about. So it's it's really just neat. So if you've ever ever like to geek out about that kind of stuff, I can always uh, share some other information. All right, moving right along. We are in big trouble as a species, so this is why I put this. But the largest ice shelf ever to give way in South in the South Pole, the Antarctica's Larsen Sea ice shelf cave way, uh, iceberg A68, which, you know, has a nice round tone to it. Well, in 2017, it actually caved in and gave away. So this thing is massive. It is 580,000, or sorry, 5,800 square kilometers, or 224, or 2,240 square miles. It is around the size of the state of Delaware, just floating in the bay next to Antarctica. And it, it's freely floating. It's completely severed. It is just migrating around. And it's this is the kind of thing that we're going to see more, more rapidly now. That encompasses around 12% of the overall ice that's actually in the Larsen Sea ice shelf. So as climate change starts to, you know, kind of creep up and we start to see this these kind of things happen more and more, it's going to only expedite the the rise of sea level and which is going to make everything that much worse. I mean, a 1-inch rise in sea level can cause a massive shift in global climate. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, global warming here. I'm not saying, hey, it was warm last year versus it was cold last year. I'm talking about uh, unpredictable weather patterns. I'm talking about massive cyclones and other range, a range of different phenomena. For instance, when it's warmer at the North Pole than it is in Chicago for a significant portion of the winter. That's a problem. And, you know, <laughs> there, there's... Uh, way too much to get into here, and I wanted to just kind of give a link again over to Gizmodo to kind of show you exactly the scale of uh, of destruction that we're talking about here, but I, I wanted to share it with the group. All right, moving right along to something a little bit less uh, important, but a little bit more important when you really think about it. 
uh, change your passwords, even on your routers. Do it frequently. In fact, you should probably pause this podcast and change your passwords right now. Why is that? Well, that's because a military um, a series of military documents were stolen because they were all using Netgear routers when they didn't change it from the default password. So, for instance, the uh, maintenance manuals for the Reaper drones, the ones that the U.S. flies them around the world to uh, do targeted airstrikes, uh, detailed blueprints and... Um, uh, operations manuals for the M1 Abrams tank. So these are all things that, you know, you, they're not necessarily classified, but uh, some rather low-level, what would uh, in the hacker community be called script kiddies. So these are people who really don't know what they're doing. The only thing they can do is run a script and uh, hopefully just sit there and wait for the uh, desired outcome. They didn't write the script. They downloaded it or they copied it from somewhere. And uh, the, these script kiddies are running around. They're selling military-grade secrets for next to no money. So, for instance, if you had been in the right place at the right time, uh, you would have been able to buy all that information about the Reaper drones, including, which is kind of terrifying when you think about it, the names of the airmen who were assigned to fly them. Yeah, you could have bought all that for $200. Yeah, you heard me correctly, $200. I know that, the you know... In the world at large, you know, military secrets are, are going down overall, but that that's kind of terrifying when you really think about it. So this person not only didn't know what they had, but it was that easy that somebody who really didn't understand the value of a buck could get in there and do that kind of damage. So uh, change the passwords on all your stuff, please. All right, moving right along. Uh, we now have <laughs> Sam Jackson does not have to get involved. There's no planes for this snake. Somebody tried to smuggle a reticulated or a ball python inside a hard drive enclosure, and the TSA caught them. That's not the funny part. The funny part that I wanted to tell you about is that the TSA has an unbelievable Twitter feed that you can actually follow along and see all the different things that people have tried to sneak onto airplanes. So, for instance, any of the hundreds of guns, any of the people who have tried to take these fun little... uh, Things that look like cats and dogs with pointy ears that are really just brass knuckles or, or punching kitties and stuff like that. Uh, somebody tried to take an actual fake bomb on an airplane. Somebody tried to take a spear gun. I mean, there's just all these weird things that people have decided to try and wander onto an airplane with. And, uh, yeah, so so it's it's useful in one case. But in the other case, you know, you're sitting there and uh, saying, man, people are dumb. I can't understand it. So it's a it's a good fun follow, and uh, in this world where a lot of stuff is serious and really, um, kind of kind of gets you down in the dumps, a little bit down in the mouth, if, so to speak. You know, it's kind of fun to see that there are people out there who are just dumber than the average bear. All right, now the next thing up here, uh, the mobile phone warning road signs, a UK first. Uh, I don't know anywhere else in the world that actually is using technology to detect whether or not a mobile phone is currently in use in a moving vehicle and then display a warning that says, hey, we know you're using your mobile phone, turn it off. Now, it cannot at this point in time differentiate between... um, It cannot differentiate, rather, between people who are using it in a passenger capacity versus a driver, and if you are using it in a via a vehicle's Bluetooth system or in a hands-free, it will not trigger it. But somehow, this sign is able to actually check and say, hey, 
you can't use me, and it fly, fires off a warning. So it's going to be uh, kind of interesting to see if they can actually start acting upon this, where you're going to, instead of radar guns, you're going to have smartphone guns, to where the cops can just zap you as you're going by and determine whether or not you were texting or looking at Facebook or watching a movie or something like that, or if there's going to be a mode you have to activate as a passenger that says, you know, hey, I'm a passenger, I acknowledge that I am not, uh, you know, currently operating this vehicle, so... All right, moving right along to the next little thing we got for you here. Now, one of the apps that I am really fond of on my Android phone is called Google Pay. You can get it for your uh, Apple phone as well. Apple has their own version of Apple Pay, uh, obviously not by the same company, but uh, it allows you to do all kinds of different things. So my favorite part of it is that I can load all of the multitude of keychain tags that my wife has uh, around her keychain, you know, different uh, buyers clubs and stuff like that from... uh, you know, hey, you know, this is uh, Applebee's, this is ShopRite, this is uh, Superstore A or B or anything like that, membership cards, and put them all in one app that actually knows your location so it pops them up as you walk around. So if you're walking into a TGI Fridays, it pops up your TGI Fridays discount card. I don't even know if that's a thing. If it is, I already have it loaded in there. I don't have to remember if it's a thing. I know it works for CVS because it always pops up when I'm in front of CVS. The same thing for Verizon. Verizon, it does that there too. Um, I like that. Then uh, we recently just started, uh, we loaded a credit card into it, and I can actually pay using the same thing that Apple does and touch it to different uh, terminals, and it pays through that. I have to actually approve each payment with my fingerprint, which is really nice, but the the bonus that I found out about that is that it does not allow, since it doesn't use the card itself, and it doesn't have anything directly attached to the card, it's impossible to skim it through methods in which other cards are uh, currently used. So I kind of thought that was neat. That's up until Google actually started uncovering some of the latest things that you're going to be able to do with their app. And that's you're going to be able to have tickets available that are going to be loaded into a single app. I mean, already you can have Ticketmaster or any of the other different ticketing venue systems all load together. And then you're going to be able to have movies and all these other fun things that are all going to get loaded in there, especially with boarding passes. So it's going to be fun to see exactly what some of these apps can do. And as long as you trust the company involved and as long as you change your passwords rather frequently, or if you uh, have a biometric screener, which is my preferred method, which means that you have some sort of physical identification, which is part of your person. So, for instance, a fingerprint, which is my (laughs) preferred method. I don't know enough about the technology behind the Face ID, except uh, I have it on my laptop, and that's not uh, not an Apple laptop. I have a Microsoft Surface, uh, Surface Book, actually, and... um, I love the laptop, and when I open it up, it unlocks, and when my kids open it up, they can't unlock it, so that's wonderful for me. Uh, but the same thing goes with the iPhone X. Uh, you know, when when you look at it, I don't know enough about technology to determine whether or not it could get fooled by a picture. So I haven't played with that yet, but I do know that my fingerprints are mine, so uh, nobody else can make a uh, a phone call or get, get through the uh, security as of right yet. All right. Now, back in the early 2000s, Banksy was uh, hanging his work in a famous London, uh, the Tate Museum, (laughs) the Tate Britain Museum, I'm sorry. Now, 15 years later, a Toronto artist pulled off a similar stunt 
when somebody was actually having a work, uh, a gallery show of Banksy's artwork. Now, Banksy, for those of you who are not uh, initiated, is a uh, street artist. He does a, he does work that's usually viewed out in the street. So this person actually took umbrage to the fact that Banksy's work was being showcased behind glass and was being showcased behind a ticketed venue. So this work, he said, was more democratized. It should be work for the people. It should be out in public view. It's not meant to be viewed in uh, the, these, these kind of... Uh, I, I want to say hallowed halls, but it doesn't make really make the same kind of thing. It's it's they should really be it, it it's two different worlds. You know, street art shouldn't really exist here is what he was saying. So I kind of like the way he did it. He didn't really damage anything. What he did was he actually put a tiny little uh photo next to one of uh, Banksy's more popular pieces of art and it's a meta commentary so it actually had an image of a street going off into a vanishing point had street closed with admission $35 which happened to be the admission price for the uh, the the piece it's or for the uh, the actual event itself so I thought that was kind of fun and wanted to pass it along to the group all right next little thing that we have for you here is Mario 64 what would it look like if you actually uh, had it at 60 frames per second. Now, the original Mario 64 was done in uh, 30 frames per second. So as things would go, it would look a little bit choppy. I mean, usually um, your eye can capture things uh, at a little bit faster than 60, uh, roughly 60 frames per second. So in order for something to look smooth, things have to move at least that. So this gentleman uh, modded a Nintendo 64 to run uh, a, a, a classic platformer at 60 frames per second, and then he put a video together to actually showcase what it looked like, the difference between the two uh, ways that it actually set up. So I thought it was really awesome, and I wanted to pa pass it along. Now, I don't know if Nintendo's looking into this or what they're doing, but they should really kind of try and uh, maybe see if they could hire this guy. Because if he could do this for their older uh, stuff, imagine the, the wave of nostalgia that would actually uh, <laughs> wash over them. All right, moving right along, we have a little bit of a Star Wars thing here. Uh, the first thing is an AT-AT Walker bunk bed. This looks like a great idea. On one hand, if you're the kid on the top bunk, you are living the dream. You are in the re you are in the Empire's one of the Empire's most fearsome ground uh, assault vehicles. However, if you're the kid on the bottom, you're just a kid on the bottom bunk and you are largely hidden by the kid on the top bunk. So if you have a middle child and you stick them on the bottom bunk, be prepared to uh, give this kid middle child syndrome times two. I like the idea in theory. So it's a 1 to 15th scale print, but at the same point in time, I'm looking at it going, man, you are going to give somebody a complex if you stick them on the bottom. The next thing that we got up for you here is over at geekalerts.com, and it is That's No Chair. Yes, a Star Wars Death Star Anywhere beanbag. Uh, this is a giant beanbag chair that is shaped exactly like the Death Star. Unfortunately, it is a slipcover for $80 because everything Star Wars themed has to be incredibly expensive. Which brings us to the next little thing we have for you here, the Han Solo in Carbonite Power Bank. Now, a power bank 
is a uh, little thing that you take with you. It's a backup battery for your phone or other uh, electronic device. I used to use one with my last phone. My current phone, the Pixel 2, doesn't really need the power banks as much. So uh, I bought a cheapy one, and you can kind of tell when you buy a cheap one of these that uh, it doesn't really give you the full charge. So I kind of think this is pretty cool, except for the fact that Han Solo and Carbonite, any kind of flat object that they can sell is pretty much fair game for a Han Solo and Carbonite. (laughs) The only problem is it's $40. Now, if I'm spending $40 on a power bank, it better be a phenomenal investment. I only spent $20, and it didn't really work out. So, I mean, it it sort of charged the phone, but it trickle-charged the phone. I, I want something that actually, you know, can give me a decent hold of electrical current there. I want to be able to feel like I'm actually mastering a a fundamental force of nature for $40. I know that's a lot. (laughs) All right, next thing up here. Now, I mentioned briefly that I have a Surface Book. Uh, Now, that is a laptop that at the push of a button, I can separate the screen and use the screen as a tablet and walk around with it, which is all kinds of fun and cool. The only detraction that I would say from making this an absolutely perfect laptop is the fact that it's a little bit on the heavy side for modern laptops. And it's a lot of bit on the expensive side for modern laptops. So it is high quality, high quality construction all the way. However, yesterday, Microsoft announced the Surface Go. It's a 10-inch miniaturized version of the laptop that actually flips around and has the pressure-sensitive touchscreen on the one side and has the... uh, the really awesome-looking felt keyboard on the bottom, and this just looks absolutely beautiful. I I have to tell you that every time I see some of Microsoft's current design stuff, they took a page straight out of Apple's book. They they went, they robbed Steve Jobs' grave, and they have not looked back. I, I know that that's going to horrify some of the Apple fans out there, but... If you look at the design aesthetics for the last couple round of Apple products, they haven't changed, which is good and is bad. But they've just focused on basically decreasing the bezel size and uh, making things a little bit sleeker. But if you look at Microsoft, Microsoft is constantly trying to tinker with things, constantly trying to reinvent how their products are being used. And I really kind of think that they're actually the more uh, adventurous company right now, which is really a weird space to be in. All right, that about wraps it up for the... Oh, wait, sorry, we had one more... uh, (laughs) thing it's a chair inspired by elegant posture of a whale yeah i don't know why i thought this was so cool but it's a chair that has an extendable tail so in its folded up form the uh, whale sits there all happy and uh, in its extended form the tail rises up out of the water and you can set a laptop on it i don't know why it looks so interesting i don't know why i'm sharing it on the show all i know is that you need to click the link and go on over there and check it out so it's for yankodesign.com you can check them out all right moving on to the food and caffeinated bits here at the caffeination podcast the color changing coke cans now in turkey they are experimenting with a new variety of uh 
can. Yes, that's correct. So you have the original taste Coca-Cola with the uh, white ice cubes on it, and then you have the original taste Coca-Cola with the white ice cubes with the blue highlights on it. The funny thing is, when you put them side by side, I it almost invokes a Pepsi-like vibe to it because of the blue. I've never seen blue on a Coke can before, but it only does this through, you know, color chromatic or uh, polychromatic ink that is temperature sensitive. So once the uh, cans themselves get down to an appropriate temperature, the the ink in the on, on the actual ice cubes actually turns blue. This is a thing that you are. Uh, be very familiar with if you've seen some of the advertisements for the uh, uh, Coors Light and some of the stuff that's around here. When the mountains turn blue. I think the only color they can use is blue. (laughs) But when the mountains turn blue, that's when you know it's cold enough. I don't know why they're only debuting it in Turkey, but they are. All right, next thing we have up for you here from over at INeedCoffee.com, a clever way to make iced coffee. Now, the Clever Brewer is a drip brewer with a large capacity. I don't have one of these, but this is a wonderful article, so uh, you can head on over there and check it out. But basically, this is a different way of making iced coffee, and since it is quite warm right now, this is something I highly suggest you give it a go. So it's basically a funnel that you sit on top of your coffee maker, and And you pour the boiling liquid into the top, and then it will slowly release the coffee down below. I have two different pour-over systems that I keep in work. I don't know why I have both of them in work, but uh, one of them has four holes in the bottom, and the other one only has a single hole. Uh, The one that has four holes I use for some of the nastier coffee that that, uh, I end up having a fallback on. And the one that has a single hole I actually use for um, some of the cold brew that I do in the office. So I'll throw a – we have a 32-ounce travel mug that I keep in work. So I throw all my coffee in there, soak some water in it, leave it over the weekend. Then I have some nice cold brew ready for me by the time it – it comes out on Monday. I just invert it in the uh, in the pour-over machine, and it comes out. So I, I highly suggest you head on over to INeedCoffee.com to uh, check out the iced coffee. Now, again, this is iced coffee. This is not cold brew. So iced coffee is coffee and ice, my favorite kind of coffee. Cold brew is co- it's coffee to which heat has never been applied. So you can uh, do, do your own math there. All right, now there's another article I found over at foodbeast.com. They're calling this a healthy cheeseburger Pop-Tart. Yes, I know, three of those words really don't make sense. Cheeseburger Pop-Tart doesn't make sense together, and healthy cheeseburger and healthy Pop-Tart really don't work either. Now, I think this is a healthier version of a cheeseburger. I don't get Pop-Tart out of it. It's a, you make a dough, you fry the patty, you put the information, or you put, yeah, you put the information on it. You put all the the uh, healthy stuff on top of it, like an avocado and an egg, and then you bake it. So it's a baked cheeseburger. So there you go. Here we are. That's Food Beast. Next thing that Food Beast actually informed me of is there's two new trials uh, versions of uh, Oreos on the way out right now. The one is Rocky Road Trip, and the other one is Strawberry Shortcake. Now, I've had the Strawberry Shortcake ones, and they are unbelievably tasty. I only imagine the Rocky Road Trip ones are as well. 
Now, the next thing we have for you from over at Sprudge.com, The Last Straw, Creative Strategies for Sustainable Straw Alternatives. Now, a lot of different people are trying to get rid of the half a billion plastic straws that are used and discarded every day. Now, Starbucks themselves are trying to migrate from using the plastic straws to having sippy cups. And I kind of fully support this. You know, I'm, I'm all for making small changes that can really kind of help the environment and help reduce the amount of stuff that's going into the land fill but uh it says that uh scotland you know it, it highlight the article highlights a couple different places that are trying to do this through through laws trying to pass laws about uh you know plastic bags through reusable single use or rather through single use non-reusable uh items that are plastic because it's bad juju and then you move right along to coffee. How does this affect coffee? Well, paper straws give you a weird mouthfeel, and there's a lot of people out there who really aren't into the whole paper straw thing. So what else could you make coffee, uh, straws out of? Could you make the straws out of hay, and how would that taste? Could you make them out of jelly? Could you make them out of sugar cane? There's all these different alternatives that are people are trying out right now. And I kind of think that Starbucks is on the right uh, path here. You turn it into a sippy cup or you use a reusable cup. And uh, my favorite reusable cup is either the Contigo Auto Seal or the Keep Cup, both of which I've reviewed here on the podcast, which I can uh, point you to. And then, uh, you know, both items actually really kind of uh, just avoid the whole thing. So I, I linked over to the, the article on Sprudge so you can uh, check that out. All right, and the last little thing that we got for you here is the coffee barometer. Now, I've done a couple different articles about this, but basically this is plain and simple science. Science! If the bubbles are around the outside of the coffee cup, because of the way that co- that liquid fills a beaker, or because of the way that liquid fills a container, the uh, meniscus which is the lowest point, is different depending on the air pressure around it. So if the bubbles in the coffee cup are only around the outside, that means that there, it's the surface of the coffee is concave it's because the bubble, bubbles will always go to the highest point. So it means that the, the air pressure is pushing down. If the bubbles are in the middle of the coffee cup, that means that it's convex, so that means that there's currently negative air pressure, so things are moving up a little bit, and you're in for bad weather. I think this is awesome, so you can stare down into your coffee mug every morning and see exactly what kind of day you are in for. And then the final thought for the day is a Nerf bazooka. If it's Nerf or, nof- nerf or nothing, this is taking it one bridge too far. This gentleman has actually decided to make a four-foot-long Nerf bazooka. This is basically a potato launcher using a pool noodle, and it is capable of absolutely destroying pretty much anything it hits. So I shared the video over at the uh, at the very end of the uh, podcast today. You can head on over there and check it out. All right, now we, we're trying to find different ways in which uh, we can... Um, support the show here at the Caffeination Podcast. And one of the ways that I'm going to try and do, since Prime Day is coming up, is there's a link for an ad directly in this, uh, the, the 
show notes for this particular podcast. So Prime Day is 7-16-2018. If you head on over there and click that, you will help support the podcast. If you click on any of the ads that are in the uh, that are on the caffeination.com website, you are helping to support the podcast and I highly I highly uh, suggest and thank everybody who is out there doing this. The other thing is I'd like to send a, a huge shout-out to the sponsor for this and every other show, which is Puzzle Piece Productions. They produce da- design that fits. Well, they and I produce design that fits. So uh, that's the, the parent company of the Caffeination. It's also where I go to do what it is that I do to make things look nice and pretty. So uh, everything from web design to graphics and logo design and posters and things like that we we do everything over there so you can head on over there and check that out thank you very much for listening to this and any other podcasts that you happen to come across if you are looking for any of these podcasts to stick in your ear you can find us we are now up live and alive in itunes got that all sorted out we are available on android we are in podcast addict you can search for us in all these different places. We're even on Blueberry. So you can find us lovingly nestled over at www.caffination.com. That's caffeination.com. If you are looking for me, you can email me comments, feedback, suggestions. Hey, Paul, please don't say that. It makes you sound silly. Over at Paul at caffeination.com. You can dial into our listener line at 215-240-1319 and leave a direct-to-voicemail message. So you don't ever have to worry about me picking up the phone and saying, why are you calling? You can just leave me a message and tell me what you love or hate about the show. We have a fan page over at Facebook, and you can reach me at twitter.com slash caffeination. Everything else is listed over at the website. Just let me know what you think. All right, thank you for listening, (laughs) and stay caffeinated, people.